0: What's up, everybody? You are listening to Reasonably Outrageous, the all sports pod hosted by myself, Matt Weirick, alongside Blake Pace. Both of us of SB Nation. Blake, how you doing,
1: man? I'm good. And you said it's an all sports pod, but we also got to give some <laughs> love to we got to give some love to the Jewel Pods. Uh, I'm wearing AirPods <laughs> right now. I bet you're wearing I got AirPods, AirPods right now. downstairs. I got yeah, Tide pods, pods too, so we embrace all pods here. We're not just <laughs> a sports pods. pod. We're a jewel. We do not discriminate pods
0: on this And podcast. Tide
1: Pods, yeah, no. No hate, all love against all different <laughs> kinds of pods. But I'm good. This is my first episode from Nashville. I'm overlooking the city right now through my nice window by my desk. I watch, oh, dude, I've been watching some insane crap from like outside my window. I saw a homeless dude uh, who's walking down the street pull open like an ash can for people where they put all their cigarettes pick one up that was like halfway done and just keep walking on his way he was like asking people for a lighter and so he's trying to light some half lit half finished cigarette so like uh there's some real <laughs> dirty people here but yeah i get to do a lot of people watching how's how's life in uh, charlottesville for you
0: well, um, I have I move into my place at the end of the month. Oh duh, you're uh, still I'm not still, in there. You're still in Harrisonburg. Yeah, I'm still making the hour drive each way uh, mm-hmm. to work every day, which isn't super thrilling. But oh yeah, um, I do like um, Charlottesville. I'm found a place now. I officially I haven't signed the lease. I'm signing a lease this week, but
1: awesome. Um, you know,
0: moving in soon. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Go. Sweet, good shit. All right. Well, we got two topics for you all today. We're going to jump into some Red Sox talk um, and how they've been a little bit disappointing. They dropped two of three over the weekend to the Dodgers uh, in what was a World Series rematch, but the Dodgers, which are the class of the National League, if not all of baseball, Mm -hmm. um, kind of ran away with this series in my opinion. I mean, Obviously, the game was close on Sunday night, but overall, I think the Dodgers are just clearly the better team. Red right. Sox right now, 50-43, and 43, which would be pretty good if they were in the National League, but they're in the AL, uh, which means they are 10 games back of the Yankees in the AL East, which is just... Mind boggling, and then two and a half games back of the Oakland A's for the second wild card spot, and have the Cleveland Indians above them. So it's been uh, a tumultuous season. Boston got off to a pretty rough start, then started to pick things up, play like we expected them to, but they've kind of been up and down since. Uh, Blake. Where do you you stand on the Red Sox right now? Do you think that they're still a viable postseason threat? Let's put your Yankees bias aside uh, for just (laughs) a minute here. Uh, Do you think they're a viable postseason threat? And, you know, what's really been the problem for the Red Sox this season?
1: Yeah, you know, the biggest thing that sticks out to me, and I do believe that if they somehow found a way to get in the playoffs, they're still a very dangerous team. Um, of course, you, you know, you look at who they lost this past offseason, a lot of arms in the bullpen. Uh, Nathan Eovaldi is making a return, and, you know, it looks like he is going to be their closer, which will be a switch for him. I've uh, got a couple guys in the bullpen that have been coming. The trade for Andrew Kashner, how is that going to help the back end of their starting rotation? It's going to be a really tough battle for them to get into that wild card spot because there are so many teams right now that are fighting for that second spot. It seems at the pace they're at that the Rays should take that first wild card spot and if not, you know, potentially if they were to win the division, maybe the Yankees would easily take the first spot, but You know, it's one or the other. And in that second spot, there's so many teams to consider, uh, you know, the Rangers. The A's have been scorching hot. It's going to be really tough for Boston, too, especially given the fact that they have to play two division opponents that are considered probably the class of the American League. And, and, you know, the biggest thing to me when you look at it has to come to last year's MVP. Uh, It's no real, uh, it's not hard to notice the difference uh, in the type of season Mookie Betts is having, he's really not getting a lot of power on the ball. You look at his three forty six batting average during his MVP season. This past this year so far, it's dropped all the way to .275. Uh, you take a look, and from 32 home runs, he's um, only at 13. Um, he does have about half the RBIs, uh, but you know, still not where you want to be. Even though you're, you know, still kind of just over the midway point of the season, but his play has been really. Uh, Detriment of the team, and then I think the other part is just inconsistency from Michael Chavis. You know, he's been he's had some insanely hot stretches this season, but then he'll he'll go through a, a week or two stretch where he's just ice cold, and it really does play a role in the team. I mean, we're talking right now on the night of July 15th, this episode comes out the 16th, but you know, the Red Sox are up right now against the Toronto Blue Jays, and Michael Chavis hit a grand slam. It kind of seems to go as far as their stars can carry them when they're, you know, when they're hot. They've been real streaky, couple individuals. Um, you know, they've dealt with their injuries, of course. Chris Sale and Rick Porcello are having both of their worst seasons of their careers. And, you know, we still, t- I say all these bad things that they're going through with bets, Chavis' inconsistency, the injuries, the pitchers having the bad seasons. They're still seven games above 500. So it's, it's really tough to say that if they weren't to get in the postseason. Uh, that it would be, you know, a team that I think could still pose a very serious threat if you were able to get some better play out of their pitchers and more consistency on the bat. But, um, I think the biggest issue right now is just them being able to get in given the slow start that they had, uh, through, you know, the midway point of July.
0: Yeah, uh, I think a big part of this team that, that doesn't get talked about is just the rotation and how much of a step back it's taken. I mean, David Price is having mm-hmm. a fine season Um, you know, he hasn't been necessarily the superstar that they signed him to be, but ever since the Red Sox acquired Chris Sale, that pressure really hasn't been on him, uh, to do that. So he's been able to be that number two, number three guy. Um, and he's having a pretty good year. I mean, a three, one, six ERA, a whip under 1.2, which is usually pretty good. Um, you know, Sale obviously got off to that rough start has been a little bit better as of late, um, but still kind of streaky. But I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez and Rick Porcello have taken massive step backs, um, really not what you've been hoping for out of the two of them. Eovaldi obviously only made four starts. He was an important part of that rotation last year. He's going to come back and be a part of the bullpen because they don't have mm-hmm. Craig Kimbrell anymore. Um, and I have really liked what I've seen out of Brandon Workman this year. He's been absolutely oh, yeah. incredible. Um, but, you know, he's a bit unproven. You kind of want somebody who's been there, done that, and Eovaldi is the guy. So I understand the move to put Eovaldi in the closer role. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, the, the this is a team that definitely can make uh, a deep playoff run if it gets into the big dance. But I really don't know if it's it's necessarily guaranteed. You mentioned, you know, how deep the American League wildcard race is right now. I mean, you know, the A's are surging. They've been playing fantastic. The Rays, mm-hmm. right there in the division, uh, they've played the Red Sox well all year. The Indians are finally putting it together to the point right. where even though they are still uh, going for it, they might still trade. Uh, Trevor Bauer uh, just because Mm -hmm. their rotation is that nasty that they just need hitters so they might trade Bauer and try to flip him for an impact bat uh, that they can throw in the middle of that lineup to help out where uh, a couple of players that they were depending on might not have been as good the Rangers have been uh, an otherworldly team lately have only won four of their last 10 and lost two straight but they've still been pretty solid Uh, you know I think in that group I, I just can't put the Red Sox in the top two, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you want to... Entering the season, I think it was really easy for everybody to put them into, you know, some kind of playoff projection saying, although oh, at least make a wild card. I personally picked the Yankees to win the division at the start of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. No brag there. But... Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's like you can't you can't put the Red Sox because they're the defending champ and, and coming into the year, you just don't really know how things are going to play out. So you just you hand them a playoff spot because they're defending champs and you know they haven't done anything not to deserve it. They brought the crew back together. Uh, you expect them to at least make the playoffs again. Sometimes it doesn't happen. The World Series hangover can be real. Uh, you know, they have a, a shorter off season and one that has a lot of celebration, not a whole lot of focus necessarily on getting better. While you have twenty nine other teams try working their asses off to get to where you are while you're kind of kick back and celebrating. So, that's definitely a factor, but the run differential plus 53 indicates they're right there uh, among the better teams in the American League. It's just such a tough league. I mean, you put them in the NL and and they have the top wild card spot right now, no question. Mm-hmm. Um they're actually ne- going to be neck and neck with the Nats if you do that uh for the two wild two wild card spots. So, uh, you know, They've just been so streaky. It's just going to kind of depend on what Red Sox we have down the stretch, Who you know, what kind of moves they make. I mean, uh, obviously, Dave Dombrowski, one of the most active GMs in baseball, he's going to be making some big moves. Um, but mm-hmm. the Red Sox already have a, a payroll that's busted through the luxury tax. Yeah. They were one of two teams last year to do it. Um, so they're, you know, obviously – they're trying not to spend too much to the point where it's really going to come back and bite them financially. Um, but at the end of the day, this is this is Boston we're talking about. It's a huge market, uh, you know, one of the biggest fan bases in the sport. I expect them to spend money. their year in year out should be the team, one of the teams that's spending a lot of money. So I don't think that's necessarily going to hold them back, but uh, it might give them pause from maybe going after, um, you know, some players that have hefty contracts attached to them.
1: Mm-hmm. And you look at the the Cashner trade that they made last week. Very and, economical, yeah, very economical. It's not the big splash, but I think the biggest thing with that is just the fact of not having uh, Eovaldi and the fact that he is going back to the bullpen, uh, maybe in that closer role, is that they put a lot more pressure not just on the starting rotation but their bullpen. They're very inexperienced, kind of underwhelming bullpen. Uh, you know, Matt Barnes, four point five ERA. He's already pitched thirty eight innings. Colton Brewer, 4.46 ERA, 40.1 innings. Marcus Walden, 3.88, 46.1 innings. And uh, Workman, who has been really their, I mean, it's their only guy listed in the bullpen right now, you know, in their normal rotation in the bullpen, to have an ERA below 3.5. And he's all the way down at 1.74. And then the next best is Ryan Brazier at 3.63. And, you know, putting that workload on the bullpen early in the season is so tough when you get in these later parts of the year where maybe their arms are just, you know, you've got fatigue <laughs> to counter in. And, and so the Cashner move is very economical, like you said, but and it's also more so just to take, uh, hopefully to ha- take less, uh, take the pressure off of the bullpen and, you know, the rest of the starting rotation. Um, hopefully, <laughs> you know, it, it works out where he can give viable starts that go six, seven innings. But, uh, you know, the other moves you got to make, I, you got to go to that bullpen and maybe get some arms that you can throw in there to, to really ease the pressure on these normal guys that are going in there. Hopefully, Ivaldi turns in and you can move Brazier to a lesser role where he's maybe coming in in the 7th or 8th. Brandon Workman, like you said, has really been amazing this year, but it's not really the proven guy that you've talked about. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough, but I, I can't stress enough that, I mean, the way... The caliber of players on this team—if you let them get into the postseason—it's going to be a very dangerous team. Uh, you know, I'm, I am worried about some of their players, but I feel like all they need is that opportunity, and they're one of the teams that just has the the power. And you know, like you said, the fan base behind them—I think they could really make uh, a postseason run if they're able to get in. But I think we're at the point. I mean, Baseball Reference right now gives them a seventeen point seven chance. Per, uh, chance to make the postseason, so it's a real uphill battle for them Hopefully that you know if if they want to salvage the season be buyers at the deadline They're gonna have to make a pretty good push these next few weeks and the other thing That I just remembered as I was saying all this they've got an extremely important uh, two weeks coming ahead of them because they've got series against the Yankees and the Rays and you look at you know It's an 8 to 10 game stretch right there where you're playing very tough division opponents if you turn and you go, you know, if you go four and six or even five and five, that's a pretty, uh, that, that really separates you from the wild card pack and the, you know, the division race that seems to be out of reach at this point. Uh, so these next few weeks are going to be extremely important for the Red Sox to try and maintain salvage of their season. I think by the end of uh, July, we should have a pretty fair uh, viewpoint on how the rest of their season is going to fall out.
0: And uh, I'm just reading this update. Eduardo Nunez has been designated for assignment, uh, their starting oh, second really? baseman, which is a pretty uh, surprising move. He was, I mean, he has not been playing well this year at all. His yeah. OPS Plus is 42 this year, which suggests that he is 58% worse than the average MLB player, uh, which wow. is pretty bad. Um, <laughs> so Brock Holt has been uh, steady, I guess. You know, he, he's... Uh, Uh, utility man obviously but you know he plays a lot of second base so i think he's been able to slide in there for nunez and they have found him to be expendable but that you know after you know he came after 265 of 10 homers last year uh hit that huge home run in game one the three-run pinch hit homer uh, to help him beat Mm -hmm. that the dodgers team set the tone for the series in game one of the world series last year uh you know for them to to dfa him i mean I really do like Dombrowski. I think he's one of the best GMs in all of baseball, and, and part of it is just because, you know, he's he's really willing uh, to pull the trigger when he needs to. He's not afraid right. of making the bold, bold move, afraid of the brush back. I mean, at this point, fans are definitely restless uh, with how the Red Sox perform this season, and they want change, so I don't think anyone's mm-hmm. going to be super upset that Nunez is gone, um, but, you know, it's still, it, it's definitely a big move for the franchise, and uh, I credit him, and I don't think the Red Sox are done. I think they're going to be making some moves. Maybe I mean everybody's looking for a bullpen arm or two yeah. at this point of the season. So if you're a team like the Giants, you hold all the cards. You're going to be getting Honestly. some nice prospects back um, for for some relievers. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I I just look up and down this team, and, and I think the one thing that really stands out as far as offense goes is there just isn't somebody who you know really stands out as, as someone who's been able to put the team on their back if he needs to. You know, we look at last season in the years that Mookie Betts and uh, J.D. Martinez had, and they were absolutely incredible, uh, you know, MVP caliber seasons. Obviously, Betts won. Martinez was right there in the mix. Um, and both of them have taken a step back this year. Still good players, certainly. You know, Martinez's OPS is still at over 900. Uh, but Betts has been, you know, very good in his own right and still adds value with his glove. Um, but nobody has really been that earth beater. I mean, you know, Xander Bogarts has been the MVP of this team so yeah. far this year, and Raphael Devers has really stepped up and been. Uh, huge for them in his age 22 season but neither of them are are, are playing at the level that Betts or Martinez was last year the kind of MVP types that anchor a lot of these really good teams I mean you look at the the Dodgers uh, obviously they have a really balanced roster up and down but Cody Bellinger is the guy on that team there's no doubt about it I I feel like you've got to have at least one of those players I mean obviously baseball is a team sport and it depends on you know sometimes the more balanced roster will win sure but you know if Mm -hmm. you can organize it so that, you know, Cody Bellinger is batting in the bottom of the ninth. Who, who else would you rather have in that kind of situation? The, the Red Sox don't have anybody who you really say that as far as this season goes, where you would say, you know, I want that guy uh, batting for my team, you know, wh- whatever team you're on in the bottom of the ninth uh, in a tie game. You know, that's, yeah. that there just hasn't been a star like that. And, and the rotation obviously hasn't had somebody who stood out and said, you know, I want that guy starting game one of a wild card game. I mean, you know, the Red Sox could make the wild card and then be bounced in one game. I mean, anything can happen, mm-hmm. um, and obviously they would go with Chris Sale for that yeah. game. But it's not like his numbers have really suggested he's been ace status this year. Um, you know, maybe they even go with Price honestly, uh, which would be crazy uh, for them yeah. to pick Price <laughs> over Sale, which is even cra- it's crazy to call that crazy because of how much Price is paid versus how much Sale is paid. Sale is on, s- excuse me, such a bargain contract; it's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if them am good with Price. I, mean, I think Alex Cora is one of the better managers in baseball. They had a really good find when they hired him last year. Um, and, and, you know, if he decides Price is more worthy, I'm, I don't doubt that he would put him there. Um, right. But I don't know if I would take the Red Sox in a one-game playoff. I mean, yeah. you know, looking at, at the other teams, I mean, you know, Charlie Morton for the Rays going against anyone on this hmm. Red Sox staff, I'm picking Morton every single time. And, I mean, that, that, Red, that Rays offense is good, too. You know, I think they'd be able to bring it against Taylor or Price right now. So it's. There's a lot of teams involved. I mean, you look at the Indians; they have a great rotation. I'm thinking that the A's are going to make more moves other than they just got Homer Bailey, uh, who's been good in his last six starts, but his overlying numbers, you know, for the whole season aren't necessarily great. But you know, you'd think that they're going to go in and get another starter. Um, I think they could be a sneaky team for Madison Bumgarner, but that's just me. I don't know how good the A's prospects are, but I, I think that's a team that could really use an ace. And you know, Bumgarner. I feel like isn't standing out. I mean, we talked about Stroman on the last podcast and how you know he's had a great season. Uh, Bumgarner's been a little bit up and down. Where I feel like the price not might not be as high for him, especially considering yeah. he's a one year rental. Um, where I, I think the A's could be a team that swoop in and get him. You know, if if he's going game one for for them, who do the Red Sox have to match up? You know, that's maybe a little bit more even match. But then hmm. again, the A's the A's offense, man. Oh my god, so, they, hit they hit a lot of homers. They had a lot of homers. The Mats, Chris Davis. I mean, you know, up and down that order, it's 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 a deep lineup. So you know, I, I just can't pick the Red Sox in in a one game playoff against any of these teams right now, and that's I think the most concerning thing. And it's I, to me, it's it's their lack of, of star power, which mm-hmm. is crazy because we're talking about defending World Series champions with the defending MVP on their team um, yeah. and, and a couple of the best pitchers in baseball. But here we are, and and you know, we're however many games in the season. I think we have seventy left uh, to go. Uh, I just I I don't see it with this team right now and and I think it with how crowded the American League is, they just don't stand out among the pack.
1: Right, yeah, it's certainly going to be an uphill battle and I want to correct myself before we move on. I said that they had uh, an upcoming, you know, difficult series against the Yankees and Rays. They actually have two light series uh these, you know, next 7 games against the Blue Jays and the Orioles. Hopefully they can go, you know, 6 and 1, maybe 7 and 0 oh, if they could sweep both. But then, then they have. Then you got a tough stretch. Yeah, oh, then you've got three, at three at Tampa, a four game stand against the Yankees, a three home stand, three game home stand against the Rays, and then you travel to Yankees for another four game uh, series. So that's going to be a real tough stretch through August fourth, uh, and and so maybe not by the end of July, but by the end of those series, August fourth, we'll wake up August fifth and have a pretty fair uh, knowledge of where the Red Sox season is heading.
0: Absolutely. Any last words on the Red Sox before we move on?
1: Yeah, I gotta just throw in there it feels good. It feels good to see the <laughs> There's the, Red the Yankees Sox bias. Struggle.
0: We knew it would creep up at some point. I'd time. have to
1: I just had to put it in there at the end a little. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice to be atop the A L East and even have the Rays even even if the Rays somehow ended up winning the division, I'd I still would just feel better about placing ahead of the Red Sox. I mean uh, maybe it's just all the Boston friends that I have that just and also I think the Boston fan base might be the worst on Twitter and maybe it's just because <laughs> I hate that Carabis guy that works for Barstool I think he's the yeah, absolute yeah. worst uh, so so maybe that's why I have such a hatred and I enjoy seeing the Red Sox uh, you know falling down so much but you know I certainly won't uh, take it for granted because I'm sure you know if it's not this year in the next few years they'll be right back at it
0: yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we'll just have to wait and see how that happens, the American League race uh, for the playoffs. I feel like in past years, it's kind of been the National League that has had all of these uh, better teams. Um, mm-hmm. Where I feel like the A's, the American League has always had a couple of super teams, but the wild card race has been kind right. of pathetic. kind of weak. Um, yeah, and then in the National League, we had all the stacked clubs, which nobody really stood out necessarily, but you just had a lot of very good teams. Now mm. it's kind of flip-flopped, where you have the Dodgers, you have the Braves, and then everybody else in the NL, and then the American League. I mean, you still have a couple of super teams for sure, and the Twins and Yankees, um, and you could throw the Astros into there too. You, but, I mean, the wildcard race, race is still really tight. Um, they're, they're keeping the, the NL East, or the AL sorry, is a lot closer um, than I might have thought it would be in terms of where the Rays are at right now. Um, you know, only six games back. There's still plenty of time. They have a plus 102 run differential, which isn't too far off from what the Yankees have. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they could make things interesting. All three series, all three divisions actually. Six games, six and a half games, six games, which is not insurmountable. I say that because the Nats are seven games back of the Braves, <laughs> so I need to have some hope that they can uh, yeah, they some can confidence pass them. Put in but there. Um, which the Nats and Braves still have to play each other 14 more times. Fun fact: uh, before the end of the year, so there's a lot of opportunity here uh, for the Nats to flip the script if they can play better head-to-head. But um, we'll have to see. All right, that's enough baseball uh, for now. We're gonna we're gonna do another draft, our, our one and only segment that we do. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's a back-and-forth draft, but it's a lot <laughs> of fun. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna rank NBA duos. Um, going back and forth, Blake. I believe you are the first pick. Um, yes. And how, how are we doing this now? Is this is this the best NBA duos of this season, uh, or just like uh, the two, you take the two best players and all the careers that they've had and put them together, and that's that? I mean, I'm basically asking: Are Kay, Katie and Kyrie eligible for this list?
1: Yeah, I think I think we're gonna take away Katie's injury. And we're going to take away, and you know, I think we should take away all injuries aside, take them for what we're going to get when they're playing together, but also taking into account not just not just the talent that's on there, but the fit as well, because I think that's a huge part with some of these duos. Does that sound good with you? Wait, so we are going to act like they're not hurt? Act like they're not hurt, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. All right, Sound I'm, good. I'm game with that.
1: Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, I have the first pick because you went in our last draft, which, what was our last draft? What were we talking about? Uh, uh, ooh. We did...
0: Um, was it the baseball one? No. Baseball? What was our was it When was we it talked football? about the oh. trade targets? Yes, yeah, it was um, the trade
1: targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the MLB okay, trade good. targets. <laughs> <laughs> yes. glad, glad we know <laughs> so the segment a... well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the first duo I'm going to go with, I'm just going to, you know, to me, this is a no-brainer. I'm going LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, and yeah. I, I've, I've said on... Here before I think and I've said it on courtside take this is the best way to form a team around LeBron James Um, he's never really had and I know Anthony Davis can shoot the ball Uh, he's got a good mid-range he can shoot from three as well but he's never had a dominant uh, rim protector guy that can run the pick and roll not only can run the pick and roll and be effective in the paint but could also do the pick and pop I think this duo is probably going to be the best that LeBron has had, and I wish he was a little bit younger where we could have it. I don't think that we're going to see that drastic of a drop for him. I know he didn't have the best season last year, and he dealt with an injury that he kind of hid from everybody for a while, but then it came out kind of toward the end of the season. But I really do think that you know having LeBron James pair up with Anthony Davis and then just shooters around him on the field just seems to me like the best way to operate this team. And so I'm not taking into account the shooters, but I think just pure talent, you know, LeBron to me, I know people love and, you know, they want to say Kawhi is the best player in the league or KD is the best player. To me, it's still LeBron James. I think he does everything uh, in the game of basketball at a a superb level. Uh, You know, whether it's ball handling, he's going to be running the point this year, which I think, again, is perfect the way to run LeBron James. I don't think that you should have him... Uh, playing off ball it just makes no sense the way his court vision is the way he orchestrates and understands the game of basketball his IQ is probably the best in the league Um, so I think you know you've got the best player in the league by my standards and I, I hope you know by the majority I hope the majority of people haven't given up on him yet but then Anthony Davis is you know you think about him entering the prime of his career you would say all around that he's the best big man in the league uh, to me, you know, this is the best duel in the NBA, and I hope that they can salvage, uh, you know, what was a pretty messy season last year in Los Angeles and bring home, you know, maybe some, you know, a Western Conference playoff run, maybe an NBA championship, a Larry OB, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. To me, that's the number one pick. That's my pick.
0: Yeah, it's hard to argue with going with LeBron and whatever star is next to him as, as mm-hmm. one of the best duos yeah. in the NBA, just in general. And then you put Anthony Davis in that conversation, and all of a sudden you're like, holy crap, they have two of the best five players in the NBA. And, you know, no disrespect to any of these other players who, who form these duos, I don't think you could argue that any other team has two top five players. I mean, it's mm. just an insane duo, something we have really have not seen in the NBA in a very long time. Um, So I'm not going to argue with you there. LeBron and and AD should be number one. But that gives me uh, the best two-way combo in the NBA at number two, uh, and that's Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, Two players who, changing teams this offseason, both going to the Clippers uh, on the same day but in completely different ways. Kawhi obviously coming off of the NBA title, NBA finals, I don't buy into Kawhi is the best player in the NBA right now. I, I, I mm-hmm. still think that's LeBron. Um, with obviously he had a rough season last year, but you could argue that was one of the worst supporting casts he'd ever had. Um, and sure, you know LeBron is, is nearing toward the end of his career, but it's not like Kawhi played a whole season. I mean, you know he was on that load management uh, schedule where he wasn't playing all year, taking uh, days off. Uh, throughout the season to keep himself healthy and sure that's important for the playoffs at the end of the day championships are what matters Um, but you know if we're talking about mvp caliber players i just don't know if Kawhi could win an mvp Uh, i just don't think he plays enough necessarily Um, or if he did he might get hurt so uh, i do like the pairing though with paul george their games really complement each other Uh, seeing the two of them on the floor at the same time is going to be uh, just a nightmare for opposing offenses Uh, You know, you're going to be able to match the two of them up against the two best players on the court uh, for opponents. So that is just such a huge asset in itself. Uh, I'm really excited for the Clippers this year. I'm not ready to anoint them, the team, uh, atop the West just yet. Um, I still haven't even really decided how I'm going to organize the Western conference. I I have no um, idea. Yeah, the Russell Westbrook trade threw me uh, all over the place. Um, Because I really didn't know where to put the Rockets in before that, and now I have no idea where I want to put the Rockets in. Um, And the the Nuggets and Jazz are in there too as as very good teams. The Blazers, obviously, were in the Western Conference Finals a year ago. The Warriors, uh, it's just all over the place. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to take Kawhi Leonard and Paul George uh, as my top duo.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, those two are obviously, they should be far and away the top picks. Um, it, there's no yeah. doubt that the the battle of LA is is going to be tremendous. I guess what you have to take into account when you think about the battles they're going to have is that right now the Clippers have oh, the better be so roster, fun. and the the Clippers have the better roster, all you know, top to bottom. And I also think that they have the better coach. It's just what is the difference between having LeBron James as your point guard and the you know the most dominant big man in the league? Is there still value? For the center where it's that big of a difference where you can work this point guard center duo and have it outweigh uh, two very good forwards. Because, you know, you can, you know, you put Kawhi and, and Paul George out on the court. Is Kawhi going to match up against Anthony Davis? Uh, you know, how does Davis's size really overpower Kawhi? But can Kawhi just really, you know, surprise us all and defend, you know, the league's best big man? So that that's going to be a big focal point for, for the Clippers is how do they defend uh, Anthony Anthony Davis, and you know what's kind of their defensive matchup going to look like? But you know, far and away, you know the two best duos in the league, and I feel like I'm going to get crap for my next one. And I,
0: I have a feeling you're going to steal my pick because I would. I go ahead, go ahead. I please. hope
1: we agree. I'm going with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson.
0: Oh, you are not taking my pick.
1: Oh, go wow. Right ahead. Crazy, so yeah, I'm <laughs> taking Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, so this got a lot more interesting. Um, yeah. To me, Steph and Klay Thompson is still, I, it's to me, the best backcourt of all time, of course. I think, I, I hope, I, I'm trying to think what other ones we could say at this point. The best backcourt duo of all time. I don't know, I, I'm maybe yeah, I'm blanking on some, some, I'm probably blanking on some <laughs> legendary duo and I'm going to get shit from uh, some people for this, but to me, Steph and Klay, best backcourt duo in league history Steph Curry is one of the very few transcendent players to come through the history of the NBA the greatest shooter of all time and Clay Thompson is the best two-way guard in the league and when he's hot he's one of the best scorers in the league Um, you know this team you know we're so caught up in what this team has been the last few years when they had Kevin Durant but you know they started this with the two of them and then you know you get lucky on a pick like Draymond Green and he's helped out where he can and maybe he's not as good as he once was um, and you know we're not going to see Clay next year so i feel like our our beliefs on what this duo actually was is going to be a lot less than what it when it what it really was because you know we're going to be a year removed from now when clay is going to be healthy and we're going to see the two of them working together when you know, three years ago they were dominating teams by themselves, and so you know, to me, Stephen Clay is still one of the best duos in this league, and we're you know, the the big reason for this is because there are so many talented duos, but, but Stephen Clay, to me, are separate from the pack and I, I really just I don't know. I, I get Steph's not great on defense. Clay Thompson definitely, you know, makes up for the defensive liabilities where he can defend, you know, the best point guards in the league, a Kyrie Irving, a James Harden, a Russell Westbrook. Um and so I guess you could not curry for that, but I think his shooting is unparalleled in the history of the NBA and and they're two of the hottest shooters of all time, two of the greatest scorers of all time and And I think when they're on the court together, um, you know, we won't see it next year, maybe until late in the playoffs if they make it that far. But this is, this is, you know, to me, uh, the third best duo in the NBA. All right. I'll tell you
0: why I like the pick and then I'll tell you why I wouldn't have done it. I like the pick because we're talking about a lot of these duos that haven't even played together yet. We're talking about what they can be. Mm -hmm. We already know what Steph and Clay can be. They anchor championship winning teams. I mean, obviously, the supporting cast around the two of them has been fantastic over the past half decade, Uh, but the two of them have been, year in and year out, two of the three best players on that team, if not the two best players, on several championship-winning clubs. So I I understand that. Uh, The two of them gel together like no other, and you kind of had a feeling. You know, once it it was clear this this dynasty was being established and you had a look at how the roster was shaping out, even after they got KD, you just kind of felt like, Steph and Clay were going to be the two guys who outlasted the dynasty mm-hmm. and stayed on Golden State uh, for either their entire careers or at least long enough to. At the point, it doesn't matter. Um, so I, I, I totally get the pick. Why I wouldn't have done it though is because of my pick right here and what I think the two of them could do together if oh, man. they're willing to make some sacrifices. Oh, James yeah, Harden and going. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I, I, I look, look. I get it. They are. Almost the same type of player. They want back-to-back MVPs. They're ball hogs. They they don't elevate the players around them. They rely on great shooters. Westbrook isn't a great shooter. Westbrook relies on guys cutting to the rim. Harden never cuts to the rim. He sleeps on offense when he doesn't have the ball. Both of them are going to have to make adjustments when they play together. But man, if they can make it work, if Westbrook is willing to be the second fiddle, he'll work, if he works on his three-point jumper, and even if that isn't the same, makes a ton of cuts to the basket... You know Harden is is willing to give up the ball uh, at, at certain points in the game. I, I really like the capabilities of mm-hmm. the two of them together, and you know we saw it with Chris Paul and James Harden. Mike D'Antoni is not afraid to spread them out throughout the game, where there's always one of them on the court at all times. I mean, you're having an MVP point guard, both of which I would consider to be top 15 players. I'd say James Harden top 10, Definitely. Russell Westbrook top 15 players. You have at least one of those two on the court at all times. I mean. I don't even think you're going to get that with the Lakers and AD and LeBron. Um, you know, you're, you're probably going to have you know points where they're both on the bench, um, even though they do have a lighter bench. Uh, their, their games complement each other. Harden and Westbrook's definitely butt heads, and you're going to need to let, give them space to be their own guys at certain points of the game to control the ball to, to you know let everybody else kind of follow behind. But at some points, there's going to be times where they need to gel, and I. I don't know if they can do it. They both have big egos, uh, you know. I really do like both players. I'm not, you know, knocking them personally mm-hmm. in any way. Um, but they're they're such competitors on the court, uh, and and they like the offense to revolve around them. And, and they're going to have to make sacrifices. I don't know if they can do it, but if they can, I, I think the Rockets become instantly one of the most
1: exciting teams in the NBA. Yeah, I, I, it's tough because. So when it comes down to crunch time at the end of the game and you need both of them on, who do you put the ball? Who, whose hands do you put the ball in? Like in your instance, in your head when you're seeing this, say it's it's the last play of the game and they need a they need a bucket. You know whether it's a two Westbrook. or three. You're, you're running the offense through Westbrook.
0: I, I'd say you put James Harden at the two. I, I don't get me wrong. I still think this is James Harden's team. Uh-huh. Um, but if, if you talk about who would be a better spot up shooter. Right. Um, and, and who, you know, commands the respect on the three-point line to give Westbrook the room to drive if he sees <laughs> an opening, it's Harden. So I, I think you have to put Harden at the two, but give him the opportunity to take the important shots uh, if he hasn't.
1: Yeah, I think that's just the biggest problem with the team is that they're the two highest u- uh, highest usage. They've recorded. Wow. Let me start that over again. Both of them, in respective seasons, have recorded the highest uh, usage rates in the entirety of the NBA. I think in the last at least 35 years. And so, what they've also done is, when the ball's not in their hands, they're two of the worst players to have on the court. You know, just they they, they stop moving. Both of them, when the ball's not in their hands, they're not making cuts. They're not making movement. And so, I mean, they're going to have to be more disciplined. And you're not wrong. Yes, yeah. that is
0: how they have they have played their careers. Right. But I think at, at this point. I I really think this is going to be a humbling thing for Westbrook. I mean, you know, he was left on a a team by himself after Paul George was traded, after he asked to be traded. Uh, And, you know, the the front office looked at the situation and thought, we can't win a championship with Russell Westbrook as the number one. I think he's got to understand that. As much as he's a competitor, as much as he doesn't want to, you know, be a second fiddle, you know, he doesn't have to be the second fiddle. He can be like 1B fiddle. You know, like you got right. one A that's that's doing that the hard notes, but one B is right there, a step behind him. Just make it into a staccato type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really, really weird music reference. I <laughs> am not a musical person, so that was interesting. But I think you get my point. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's gonna have to adapt his game, but I I love Russell Westbrook, man, and I love James Harden. They're two of the most exciting players. And I'll tell you what, I I, I think basketball in in twenty nineteen is the most exciting when you have a dynamic backcourt. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, the dunks are hype and, and the big men and, and the forwards who are running around playing solid defense and um you know running up and down the court with their teams playing the stretch. That's great. But when you got two guards who are just tearing it up, um I you know, that there's just nothing like it for me. Uh and, and I, I'm really excited to see the Rockets this season. Even if it doesn't work out if it doesn't work out, it's going to be a disaster. Don't get me wrong. Right. Um, but that's that's still going to be fun to watch. So regardless, I'm excited for this Rockets team.
1: Yeah, you know, I, the talent alone, like you said, I, I would consider both of them inside the top 12. I'd put Harden, you know, in the top eight somewhere in there. And I definitely have Westbrook yeah. around that 10 to 12 range. Um, so the talent there alone in itself you know, paves way to why they're in this conversation. I, you know, they're on my list as well. I wasn't going to just leave them completely off because I don't think their games work. I mean, that that's the thing is that you hope that this is a humbling experience given the fact that the Rockets time and time again have tried uh, different pieces around James Harden, you know, go back to when it was Dwight Howard and then you bring in Chris Paul. Hopefully for James Harden, it's humbling to understand um, his adjustments that he needs to make. And then like you said with Russ, you know, the trade for him him moving on and him not being able to make it work with previous stars like Paul George, Kevin Durant, all these guys that have left and had better, you know, seasons or careers with, uh, you know, away from Westbrook. Hopefully, both of them are humbled by this opportunity. And the only other thing that that kind of needs, you know, to be addressed is the fact that Mike D'Antoni really needs to figure out a way to make this offense work. And I understand that you can try and stagger the minutes between Russ and James Harden. But, uh, you know, when both of them are on the court, there's got to be some type. I don't know if he's going to get real too experimental, if he's going to just keep it the way he has. But you really have to hope because he's also had his issues uh, with Rockets management at times when he was considering an extension and not going back and forth with them. So there are a lot of pieces for them to figure out. And then the other thing with the two of them having the ball, what is the rest of the team really going to to get out of their games? I, I expect probably a big season out of Clint Capella because both of them are great in the pick and roll, and if you can run 48 minutes of the two of them uh, and, and Capella running toward the rim. But, you know, I, the talent, I, I'm not going to kill you on the pick because, you know, if you took what's going to be my next pick, I, pro- I would have taken them with my third pick too. I just, um, I just am going to transition then, and I would say that I think that Talent and fit, uh, Kyrie and KD, who are my final pick, um, are just a better fit on the court. And, you know, I think their talent is right just up about there because at the very worst, Kevin Durant is a top three player in the NBA. And as much as I am wishy-washy on Kyrie Irving, I think at the very worst, he's a top 15 player in the league. Um, So then again, you have two top 12 to top 15 players, and I think that both of their... Abilities on the court, uh, you know, work together uh, better than Russ and Harden. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting to be able to pick them, and I was expecting to kind of go back and forth with you about why I had some concerns and why they are lower on my list. You know, they, I you know I picked Steph and Clay ahead of them, um, but I, I'm not going to say that they're you know a bad duo to have on the court. Kevin Durant, when healthy, uh, you know, the third best player in the league. Um, and, and Kyrie Irving certainly is one of the best, uh, scoring point guards the league has seen. Um, the fit, part of me is just worried about the character fits and maybe I'm not supposed to take that into consideration, but they're two very wishy-washy people. Um, you know, Kevin Durant with the burner accounts and his decision to go to Golden State, Kyrie Irving burning bridges in Cleveland, burning bridges in Boston, you know, I don't really understand where their heads are at in Brooklyn. And if things don't go right the first two seasons, what's that going to look like? If they don't work out together on the court, what, you know, what's the what's the fault going to be if this thing goes wrong? Um, but if it all goes well, it's going to be a hell of a duo to watch offensively. Uh, defensively, you know, Kevin Durant will be on the opposite side of, of 30 with a couple injuries, and Kyrie's never been a stud defensively, so I guess there are some worries there but um, certainly two of the most offensively talented uh, people on the court playing together. So I have no qualms picking them with my final selection.
0: No, I mean, I think it's the obvious pick here. Um, You know, I I think this is – there's probably the five duos right here that are are the best right? uh, that we've gone through. And then there's – And then there's a tier. I'm excited to see where you go with six. There there are a lot of ways. Um, Right. But real quick, just on Durant, I mean, obviously, you know, he's – going to be missing all of next season Kyrie going to have to carry his team which we've seen you know I we've seen how that went in Boston it didn't work out you know th- this is my thing is just chemistry wise man I, it just didn't seem like things were going well with Durant and Golden State mm-hmm. uh, he was rubbing a lot of people the wrong way seemed to be a, a little bit more worried about um, his free agency than he was on their current season uh, and that seemed to be a big distraction uh, for that locker room. Obviously, he's not going to have that particular problem in Brooklyn, um, given that he's signed to a supermax deal. Um, but Kyrie was having a bunch of issues with Boston, and nobody really seemed upset to see him go. Uh, so when you see two disgruntled stars leave their teams, with neither team really all that broken up about it, you know right. that goes to kind of show what they're like in the locker room. And I just I'm interested to see how they gel. That's all I'm going to say. Um, you know, KD is a top five player in the game, top three player in the game, uh, in my opinion. I think mm-hmm. I think he was neck and neck with Kawhi for the, the consideration of, of second best player right. behind LeBron. Um, I'm not ready to anoint Giannis just yet. No, um, I know, need to see shooting from MVP. him. Yeah, 100%. I think that's uh, that seems to be the general consensus. But, um, you know, I think those three, Durant, Kawhi, and, and LeBron, are right there for the top three. Um, but KD, you know, going into this, this new team... Uh, I, I'm very interested to see how he handles being with a bunch of younger players. And, uh, you know, obviously he came up with, with Oklahoma City, so he was one of the young guys at that point. Then he went over to Golden State, and established championship team already that had veterans uh, in that locker room. Now he's going to be looked on kind of yeah. as the guy. This is a new, new role for him uh, in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how it pans out. And you're right, this is going to be a two-year experiment to really before we can kind of assess – uh, how this offseason went for them but uh, as far as as Brooklyn fans right now you can't be too disappointed with the duo that you have
1: no not at all so where, where are you going there's a few that I would have uh, considered it six. Right. I, I did pick my sixth and so I'm interested yeah. if we'll pick the same but there are, you could so I guess I think three or so I, I I would consider three or maybe even a fourth duo here for for number six so where are you gonna go all right,
0: well, first I'm going to tell you my four, and I want you to tell me if you have uh, one of these okay. duos, okay? You got Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. You got Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. You have Luca and Kristaps Porzingis. Hmm. Obviously, haven't played together. And Giannis and Chris Middleton.
1: Yeah, those are the... Those Ooh, are... Ooh, actually, no... Who did I not have in that? Oh, you know what? You I have didn't...
0: Simmons and Embiid. No, then, I don't have
1: I Embiid. didn't. I had a really weird one that I just love the fact that they're going to be playing together. I didn't have them in consideration for my sixth, but I did have them around. I had them at eight, and I didn't have uh, Porzingis or Doncic, but I considered them. I instead went with uh, Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell at my eighth. Mm, so that so... is
0: pretty good. I. I... I was very I think someone was talking about that uh, it might have been Sports Illustrated did a piece on that this morning. Right, um, yeah. I really like them. the yeah.
1: potential that they have and what Conley can teach Mitchell, but I did have one of those as my sixth, so I'm excited to see where you go.
0: My sixth is a man you know well paired up with the reigning rookie of the year, and that's oh, the whoa. Unicorn and Luca Doncic. No way.
1: I'm I awesome.
0: so excited. Is that who you picked?
1: No, that's not that's not who I picked. Okay. I actually, I'll tell I went with uh, Lillard and McCollum just based off experience mm. and and we've it, I kind of played into the fact that we've seen what they are. Kind of with my selection yeah. with, with Steph and Clay. I also just think that you know Dame is one of the best players, and McCollum really proved himself in the postseason. But I like where you're going with this. Let's let's hear it.
0: I just, I mean, what we saw out of Luka Doncic this season. Uh, showed that he has the potential to be an MVP next season. I mean, he was, you know, we talk about five tool athletes in, in, in Major League Baseball. Luca checks all the boxes. Um, and, and, you know, obviously Chris stops coming in here off of, of the gruesome injury. If he can come back to full strength, I mean, you know, we're talking about two players who suddenly, without having to be paid like it, Although Kristaps did get an extension, mm-hmm. um, but without having to be paid like the the insane amount that usually two stars of their stature could be paid, uh, they look like a really good tandem this season, uh, and I think are 100% going to be in contention for you know the eighth seed in the playoff in the the Western Conference uh, playoffs this year. After having one of the worst records in the NBA coming into the year, oh, I'm I'm really excited for the I Mavericks like this year. Um, but Kristaps and Luca, man, I mean, just how much fun they're going to be having on the court! It just—I can't wait to see I, the NBA, man. I—I I can't tell you how pissed I have been the past hmm. you know, like three years with just how bad the Wizards have been and how good the Warriors have been, and we just haven't been able to see. I mean, obviously the Cavs got that one title in there. Um, but like it just it's been almost a foregone conclusion every year of who's gonna win the NBA there's so many things to look forward to about this next season obviously I don't think the Mavericks are gonna be winning the NBA finals but I, I just can't wait to see how these two guys make it work
1: no I you're totally right and I you know I never would switch away from being a Knicks fan, but I definitely root for, I get to root for other teams and players when I know that the Knicks are going to be garbage, and given that the fact that the Knicks are once again going to be garbage, I mean, Dallas is going to be the team that I secretly root for, but never say anything about it, Uh, because like you said, the the season that Doncic had last year was amazing, of course, I've loved Kristaps my entire, I was going to say life, but I've only known him for like four or five years, but I've loved him <laughs> since the day he was drafted by the Knicks, um, and that, like you said, that's one of the that's one of the coolest duos. I think their game complements each other well. Porzingis uh, has you know a great three point shot, and Doncic is a great uh, ball handler and has great court vision. The two of them is is really exciting. I'm trying to look at the rest of their roster. Nothing really excites me too much. They definitely need big men. Um, certainly, they yeah. they you know they have Tim Hardaway Jr. on you know. Almost the end of his contract. He has a player option in 2020. Uh, Courtney Lee, they're very guard-heavy right now. If you look at their bigs, it's, you will probably run Porzingis at the five. But then you've got, God, you know, Justin Jackson, who they brought in from uh, Sacramento. You've got Dwight Powell. um, But really, you know, it's a a lot of of guards. So they don't have too much... um, Depth up front, you know, of course, before the Kristaps trade, they had uh, DeAndre Jordan, who's now in Brooklyn. That would have been a nice guy to probably still have around there just to compliment Porzingis' game because Porzingis really, you know, for as big as he is, isn't that aggressive big that can handle the guys that throw around a lot of weight. But, um, so yeah, you know, the Dallas team is very interesting. I'm excited that you went with them as number six because I thought about them and that would have, you know, if I was feeling more bold in, in myself, I would have gone in their direction because... You know, it is, you know, the potential there, I feel like the ceiling between those two is a lot higher than, uh, you know, some of these others. But I think that the floor with the pairings like, you know, Dame and CJ, Chris Middleton and Giannis. is oh, certainly who, a lot you know, higher. But the potential the of those two, higher. I mean, I, I think the ceiling for, you know, Giannis, or sorry, for Porzingis and Doncic could be, you know, carrying a franchise for, you know, the next few years.
0: Well, and that's the thing, is is we're going to have the opportunity to see these guys grow oh, yeah. together. I mean, you know, it feels like Porzingis has been in the league for a while. He's only 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, he still has his entire career ahead of him. Luca was, what, 19 this past season? I mean, yeah. the, the two of them are really going to come into their own together. Uh, and that's really what I'm excited to see because it, it's a chance for, for two young superstars. You know, we don't get to see that a whole lot. I mean, we, we saw it in Oklahoma City with with Durant and, and Westbrook. We saw it in D.C. with Brad Beal uh, and John Wall. We saw it in in uh, Portland with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. You know, and in Clay and, and Steph. You know, it just it's a it's a rare opportunity that you get to see. Two guys elevate their games together, learn how to play off each other. Because you're, if you're talking mm-hmm. two, three years down the line, the the kind of unspoken connection that these two guys are probably going to have on the court, I mean, oh, yeah. that's that in and of itself is worth value. Um, and, and that's not even to mention just the kind of ceiling that each of these two players have.
1: Exactly. Like you have Porzingis for the next five years because of the max that he signed, and Doncic has what, three to four years left on his deal. So you've got both of these guys for so long that, you know, at the very end of their contracts right now, they should be entering or right in the beginning stages of their primes. And if all things go well, and and Dallas, you know, Mark Cuban and, and, uh, oh God, why am I blanking on their head coach's name right now? Um, Rick Carlisle, the two uh, Carlisle, of them, yeah. the two of them have, have done a pretty good job at, you know, keeping players happy and keeping them around Dallas, um, you know, uh, you know, Dirk's career is over. So it's, it's like a new chapter uh, for the Mavericks. And, you know, I wouldn't see any reason why the two of them, if all things go well, that they wouldn't want to stay there. I know we talk about player mobility, but if you have a duo, this could be like the next version of Stephen Clay that we see where they spend their entire careers in one destination, just because they grew up in it. I know, you know, we looked at we thought that could have been Russ and KD. Of course, they they, uh, they move along. Um, but, you know, maybe this could be one of those duos that does stick around for, for some time.
0: It's going to be exciting to watch, man. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited it's gonna be for, a lot of fun. for what they can do. Right. I, it is. And just the whole NBA, I mean, like we talked about, it's this whole landscape. It, it's something that we just have not seen in the NBA in. Like 15 years since the last time the Mavs won the title, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even that, in even that season, that was the first year of the um, Big Three that of the Big Three with LeBron in Miami. So right. you know, we thought going into the year that it was a foregone conclusion the Heat were winning it anyway. So you know, I I, I honestly can't think of a time that we've had an off season where you just really don't know who's going to be in the finals. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely crazy, and it's definitely still a tale of two conferences the east is is nothing compared to the west uh and that's that's rings true now more than ever um but that being said the eastern conference still has plenty of intrigue Uh, i'm really excited and and it just it seems to be the year of the duos this that's what this year is going to be uh and i i couldn't be more excited
1: yeah it's it's really one of the best times to to be in the nba and and uh yeah for all the reasons we said so you know Let's recap these. Of course, I went with LeBron and AD, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie. Matt, you went with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And then the very fun pick of Kristaps Porzingis and Luka Doncic, <laughs> you went foreign on me. Foreign's not born. I also
0: I want to give an honorable uh, mention uh, to Zion and Drew Holiday. Um, oh, nice. Because... <laughs> oh, you know what? <laughs> we, I need to give an that, honorable that mention...
1: <laughs> To Bobby Portis and Julius Randle, who are going to just Oh, get out of
0: here. R.J. Barrett. You're
1: not even going to say R.J. Barrett. First of of all, Bobby
0: Portis is trash. (laughs) Taj Gibson. Um, Sorry. (laughs) Watched him play all the second half of this past year. Was not super impressed. He had some decent games, um, but he really only seemed to show up when we played the Bulls, which was his former team. Um so that's yeah. my opinion but um, right. good luck good luck with Bobby Portis and yeah. how are you paying him 40
1: million Bobby Portis <laughs> uh Marcus Morris or did we get the other one I'm not sure I think it's Marcus uh Taj Gibson and Julius Randle all essentially play the same position and we paid each of them handsome money for 2 years so it'll be really interesting the Yan- uh, the, the Yankees the Knicks will have uh probably one of the more deep power forward positions and then no talent wow. anywhere else. Very exciting wow. times for New York. So that's yeah, really. that's where I'm getting my <laughs> Dallas fan base from early on.
0: Yeah. Jeez, man, I'm really jealous. Yeah. Uh, Rui Hachimura and Bradley Beal.
1: That's, yeah. that's the duo right there. <laughs> oh, what, what, what's going on with John Wall? What's what's wrong?
0: John Wall's missing all next year, bro. He's what, what's, Achilles. What's wrong?
1: Oh, oh no, yeah. John Wall. How much money? Oh, yeah. How much money is he going to make on his couch next year? Was it thirty-seven oh, and no. a half million? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> um
0: I, I actually thought it was funny i was doing some research for the duos before the show and um there was one that was ranking a top 10 duos list i was scrolling through and they gave an honorable mention to john wall and Brad Beals for their chemistry for their chemistry <laughs> oh jeez. Um, and i was they have terrible chemistry yeah that, it's that awful they don't get along them, so no I, they they're fine on the court i guess but just in general they do not like each other jeez
1: well, but you know what, man, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. We're each going to have to pick teams next year that we just like quietly root for. I'm going to, maybe we'll both, you know, just silently root for Dallas to work together because you seem excited about the yes, two of them. And I'm, I'm excited them for Dallas, too. man. Maybe we'll both I'm be rooting, Mavs fans next year.
0: I'm rooting for the Mavs. I'm rooting for the Pelicans. Um, okay, I'm Zion, not. Zion is the first Duke player that, I'm realizing this, Zion is the first Duke player that I'm like rooting for. Yeah, I mean, I'm... It's, a, it's an anomaly. It really is.
1: I'm rooting for Zion. I want him to do so well the next five years, and I want him to miss the playoffs every single year that he comes to New York when he gets the opportunity yeah, to. Yeah, but,
0: okay, you Knicks <laughs> fans, all right? You keep hoping that all these disgruntled stars will come along just oh, it doesn't work with my team, so let's go to the Knicks, and it never happens. (laughs) I think you guys got to get the idea here that that doesn't
1: work. Yeah, no, so I'm going to root for Zion. I'm not going to root for the Pelicans. I want them to be very mediocre in his (laughs) tenure there, but uh, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the Mavericks and then the Jazz, dude. I just like the Jazz's starting five. It's just a really cool starting lineup, so big big jazz guy big uh <laughs> big Dallas guy next year so those will be the also guys like, that I root for i like I jokic mixer. i like jokic yeah, yeah jokic, jokic is too. a good guy too i think he's a little soft on the defensive end but i don't know
0: it's all right he's he's one of the the best big men in the league easily oh yeah definitely i mean just it, his shooting is crazy top top Without a doubt. two or three yeah mm-hmm. easily all right um before we go i want to make oh, yeah. one note uh i, I told blake i want to do this before the show um, just Wimbledon, man. I, I can't tell you. I don't, I think prior to God, what day was it? Sunday? Was it Sunday or Saturday? Uh,
1: I can't remember either. I think it was Sunday. I think it was think Sunday. It, it was well, Sunday. whichever day it was, I yeah. think it was Sunday. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, it was, it was. Before Sunday, I don't think I had ever watched more than half an hour of tennis in one sitting. And I watched for like four and a half hours on Sunday. Uh, of, of that, uh, Novak Jog- uh, oh god Djokovic, uh, I'm so thrown off with all these European names. The Joker uh, versus Federer um, in what was probably the most exciting tennis match I've ever seen. Uh, it was just, it, it was absolutely wire to wire. And I was only watching it because there was literally nothing on else on TV. I mean, mm. it was just, there was nothing else. And I was like, oh yeah, it's the Wimbledon Men's Championship. I might as well just, just watch it, so... You know, This only happens once a year, whatever. And it was honestly really entertaining. Um, just went wire to wire. They went all the way to that. They went to the fifth set, and then they tied 12 to 12 in the fifth set. So they had to go to a tiebreaker round, which apparently wasn't the rule anyway, but I didn't realize that. But a hmm. lot of people who actually watch tennis were thrown off. But me as a casual fan was just like, this is awesome. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun to watch though. Uh, I'm disappointed, Blake, that you weren't watching because for, for, for like a solid hour, for the first time in my life, my entire Twitter timeline was just taken up by tennis. I had just, and I was like, Hey, I'm watching this. This is cool. You know I mean? I'm involved, but, um, it was, it was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch and, um, Joker, he, uh, he put on quite the show. I mean, Federer definitely was, was right there with him, but, um, God, I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you who I was rooting for because mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. But it was just. It was cool. I think tennis. I was. I was telling my buddy this. I think tennis is the most mentally demanding sport there is because it's really just one on one macho y macho. Two Ma- guys going mono-y-mano. back at it. No, I wanted macho y macho. Anyway. Um, they're just going head-to-head, head, no coaches, nobody else around them to give them advice, anything. It's just one-on-one with very few breaks in the sun, five hours worth of play. You're just mm-hmm. giving every bit of – and it's – it's tennis is like a chess match. You, know, you, you, you try to get the edge with a, a shot to try and move one guy one direction, hoping that he'll return it one way so you can hit it another way. But he's thinking that same thing, so he's trying to counter it and go this other way. And it's like this back-and-forth that – you know, uh, I didn't even really realize until you watched. I think there was like a 35 hit volley at one point uh, between the two of them. I mean, just watching them go back and forth, there were times where like it was like eight hits in a row. were are just kind of right back to each other, and you could tell they were trying to set themselves. Like they just didn't like the shot they were taking, so they were sending it back to try and give themselves an easier shot uh, on the next one. It was it was kind of wild. Something mm. I just really didn't know notice about tennis. I I never played. I, I think I've picked up a racket maybe once in my life um but you know maybe maybe i become a tennis guy i don't know it was it was pretty fun to watch
1: yeah, you know, it's it's going to be one of those things that, you know, probably probably in the long run I'll regret not watching. Because like you said, the entire Twitter feed was lined up with it. There was nothing else to watch during that day. I'm trying to even think what I had on the TV or if I had it even on during it. Well, that, that was the best thing. Because it, it ran long, it went right up to uh, the Nats game. Like literally oh, okay.
0: ended, ended oh. right as the Nats game started. So I was like, I can just watch sports all right. day. It's great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I guess you know I you know I'm not gonna I agree with you. Just the the mental aspect of that game is very, uh, very, you know, wearing, demanding. Uh, on, very demanding yeah. on an athlete throughout you know the, the times of four or five hour course. Um, I guess I've just never been a big tennis guy, and I know you you aren't either. And you've said you've maybe watched a half hour. I don't know. I knew it was on too, and I maybe the, you know I I don't know why I wouldn't even just put it on, but. It's one of those things, I guess. I just I'm, I'm I'm not a tennis guy, so maybe I'll regret watching it at some point. But well, living
0: living on my own now, I've been very much glued to ESPN at, mm-hmm. at almost all times. It's just kind right. of always on. Like, not that I don't watch you know a lot of sports in general, but when other people are around, you you tend to get caught up in whatever you're doing, and uh-huh. you know during the odd hours of the day, you might not be reading or watching sports. But now living by myself, I've literally. That's just all I ever do. I sit in yeah. front of my TV with my laptop, and I have the ESPN on, <laughs> on in the background. If something comes on, I end up watching it, um, and, and that just so happened to be tennis. So I kind of lucked out, not going to lie. It definitely was not me seeking out Wimbledon in any way, but I'm very much glad I watched it. So yeah. that's that's uh, talking tennis for you. Nice. You probably Talkin won't do that very often. <laughs> that's right. There's some hard-hitting analysis for you. Uh, yeah. st- stay tuned. Next week, we'll talk cricket. Macho e macho. Macho he macho, that's right. That's <laughs> the... <laughs> all right, well, I think that's going to do it uh, for the show today, folks. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us both on Twitter. I am at Matt Weirich, FBB, where I write for Federal Baseball. I had an article today go up about Stephen Strasburg and his impending player option that he oh, can yeah. decide to pick up. Blake, Blake is a writer. He is at Blake Andrew Pace. He worked writes for the Colts blog, Stampede Blue, and the Syracuse
1: blog, which name I can never remember. It's too long of a name. It's Troy it Nunez really is, is an absolute magician. I don't get it. I, that was the one thing. What's the I acronym? Decided...
0: What's the acronym?
1: Oh, uh T like N Let me see. It's uh do they you T- the I T N I A A M.
0: Which, is just, like,
1: which is just like which is just like the worst. As bad. <laughs> yeah, I just tell everybody I write for the Syracuse page. I don't even go into description of what it's called, but but yeah, don't, make sure don't. to we'll make just... sure to check out the Twitter feed. I had a piece come out today uh, for the Colts on Naim Hines, rookie running back, had a pretty uh, you know the Colts draft class had two All Pros seasons out of their rookies from uh, Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson, but. Uh, what am I trying to say? Naeem Hines finished off with a pretty good season while not really carrying much of You're the You were hyping uh, him up, up
0: last year, I remember. Dude, he's you, he you, had
1: a you. he had a good season, man. He's nice. Nice uh shifty change of pace guy out of NC State. Really fits the offense well. And he became just the seventh player since twenty ten as a day three draft pick to I don't know, there was a certain checklist that he crossed off, I think with touches, average five yards of carry, and uh I think around seven hundred and fifty yards. So yeah, Nice piece out there. I'm getting back into my writing grind now that I'm settled into a new city and stuff. I really hadn't been writing a ton, so you get more content on the uh, the Twitter feed soon. So bigger things are coming. Oh yeah, Twitter things are coming.
0: All right, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter, read our stuff, leave a rate. How do you do it? Five stars and subscribe uh, on iTunes. Give us show us some love. Um, and thank you all so much for listening. And have a good one.